You're listening to the Get Out and Drive podcast with John Custom Car Nerd Meyer and Jason Old Car Guy Car. We'll be bringing you gearheads everything you never wanted to know about cars and why they should be on the road and not in your garage. Are you ready to get out and drive? Get those cars on the road October 2nd, 2022 to celebrate National Get Out and Drive Day. Visit nationalgetoutanddriveday.com for more info. We're already gearing up for National Get Out and Drive Day this October 2nd, 2022. And to make National Get Out and Drive Day even better this year, we've got the Atlantic Nationals Extravaganza in Moncton, New Brunswick, jumping on board as an ambassador to help us get out and drive. And if you would like to be a National Get Out and Drive Day ambassador as well, just head over to nationalgetoutanddriveday.com and apply now. You know, Jason, we sure get to talk a lot. Yes, and some of us more than others. Who, me? I'm not pointing any fingers. Yes, you are. But we want to hear from our listeners. Just go to our website, getoutanddrive.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click the listener hotline button. We want to hear from you. Cool stories, breakdown stories, questions, comments, hate mail, even hate mail, even hate mail. You got a car show in your area? Let us know. Tell us an interesting story. Let us know what you like to get out and drive. Welcome back to another great episode of the Get Out and Drive podcast. My name is Jason Old Car Guy Car. And I am John Custom Carnard Meyer. You know, John, I was just thinking the other day, I wonder what they do in Alaska for fun. I, I don't know. I mean, you know when the first car race was? Do you remember? I the very first car out. race, do you remember? It was right after they built the second car. Yeah, there you go. I mean, immediately. And, and guaranteed, if you have two of something in the same place, you're going to have a race. So I know Absolutely. they've got cars in Alaska. I know they do. So I know there's got to be a racetrack in Alaska. Do you think there's a racetrack in Alaska? I Well, I I, and, I, and I don't want to seem foolish and say that we think Alaska's way up there and out of the way and that nobody talks about it, nobody thinks about it. But guess what? It's there. And there's, there's a lot of things to do. And I'm so excited to have today's guest on the podcast who's going to tell us a lot about what there is to do in Alaska. Our guest today is Michelle Lackey Maynard. And Michelle, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, you guys, for having me. Welcome. Michelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do and how it ties into this little intro that we've been talking about? Well, I am the lady track boss at Alaska Raceway Park. Alaska Raceway Park is an NHRA quarter mile drag strip, and we also are a NASCAR third mile paved oval track in Alaska (laughs) by a beautiful mountain. (laughs) (laughs) So, in fact, they do have racing, uh, not just short track racing, but we have drag racing and both nationally sanctioned tracks. Mm -hmm. Yep. The drag strip started in 1964. And so we've been in continuous operation now. This is our what? 58th. I don't know. That's math, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, we've been in, we've been in operation since 64. Uh, We opened the NASCAR track in 2016. So the facility is brand new on that side and very um, up to date. And we're actually in the process of modernizing the drag strip as we speak. Well, that's, that's crazy because I know the first time we had met, we talked at SEMA 2021 in the racing junk booth. I was an idiot, and I asked, well, what do you do in Alaska? You have ice tires, you have, you know, spikes and all that stuff, and you calmed me down quickly, and you said, no, idiot. We, we, we race when it's dry, you know, and I, I don't know. I thought of, the, I thought of the, totally the wrong thing. I'm thinking year-round, you're going to be getting with it, you know, but... A racetrack in Alaska? Is it is it like have to be crazy with the highs and lows with the temperatures and things? How do you keep the track from going wacky? <laughs> but the the weather is definitely unpredictable and it's it's all over the place. We are quite a bit cooler temperature wise than most places. The track temperature on a on a really good day will maybe get up to 
maybe 90. It doesn't get super hot. We're at 62 feet of elevation. So for all of you drag racing nerds out there, that is a really, really good air temps. We're, we're still working on the bugs and trying to get fine-tuned traction and adhesion on the, the starting line because it is a lot harder with the track being as cold as it is. But right now we're putting in the concrete walls. So in theory, we should have all of the right things lined up. So we could do some really good, maybe some national records at our little little track up here in Alaska. First of all, I want to go back and, and, and say, okay, we've got two events that you're really putting on there. You've got your circle track, you've got your drag racing. Let's go to the drag racing just for a second. The first thing that comes to mind when I hear drag racing or racing in general in Alaska, I want to ask, like, how long is the season? I know where I am in Eastern Canada, our racing season probably is maybe five months. So like May to October. Mm-hmm. And again, it's certainly based on weather, based on temperatures. What is the racing season, the drag racing season in Palmer, Alaska? It's actually quite similar to what you have on a lot of the the tracks in the northern part of the United States. We run Mother's Day to Labor Day pretty much. So we're with you on the May through September. We started actually last weekend with some SCCA events. And so they're going to be running the first three weekends, but a lot of that depends on weather. We could have like this year, we were very fortunate and everything went out early, but we've had some times when mother's day has been snowed out or even, even up to Memorial day. So that can stay away that we don't need that right now. Wow. Snow during racing is an insane thing. Okay. If we switch over to the circle track racing, now we know in uh, NASCAR, in, in, in the big three, in NASCAR, they kind of start in February. Of course, they start in Daytona. They make their way west uh, where all the weather is generally pretty cool or pretty warm all summer, all season long. What about the circle track racing? You, you, you run a similar time for racing there as well. We do. We actually start the circle track will start on the 14th this year. So the week after Mother's Day, and then it runs through Labor Day as well. And then after that ends, there's a dirt track race that we go to down in Kenai. A lot of us go for fun. And uh, some of my drivers actually let me drive one of their cars. So (laughs) um, it's, it's kind of a good way to blow off steam. That's actually the final circle event for the whole, pretty much the whole state. I haven't seen it and I don't follow NASCAR very closely, but you do have a national, have a NASCAR sanctioned track. We do. We're, we're part of the advanced auto parts weekly series. And so our racers here compete for the state championship, but they're also entered into our division championship. Unfortunately, we have to have 14 races for our guys to, to qualify, you know, I mean, they qualify anyhow, but they take your 14 best finishes and then we only have 10 races. So we're, we're a little bit behind the curve and I haven't quite figured out the double feature stuff yet. So we're probably not going to have a division champ anytime soon, but we, we have been doing really well since we started. And this year we're competing again in the advance my track challenge, which you guys may have heard of, but that's going on right now. And so you can vote for your favorite track in Alaska until May 6th. Last year, we ended up third out of 22 tracks, which I thought was pretty good because we're, I mean, there's, there's racetracks we're competing against that have higher population fan base than we have in our entire state. And so for us to get to that point, I thought was pretty rad. So you had mentioned earlier that uh, at the end of the season, you know, one of your, some of your drivers allow you to get behind the wheel. So I, I want, I'm curious, do you race over and above operating these tracks? Like, is it something that you do regularly or is it just kind of a once in a while thing? Um, I don't, I don't compete for like a championship or anything like that here anymore because I, I am in charge of stuff and that's always kind of a little awkward but I have um, in, in 2009, I was the state champion in the open air class, which is motorcycles and snow machines. And I was riding the snow machine, was also pregnant with my son at that time. So <laughs> I figure he's kind of, uh, he's got adrenaline into like into his DNA. So that's why he's such a hyper kid. But so I've, I've done that. I've raced the 53 behind me. I've raced... I've dry raced a lot of things. I actually went um, down to Frank Holly's and got my super comp license. So now I'm officially can drive whatever I want. And then the guys do let me try and try the hand at, at dirt track racing, but I need to 
I need some more practice at that. What is a snow machine? School me. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. Um, for those of you in the lower 48, it's a snowmobile. Um, but in Alaska, we call them snow machines. So I have a, um, a Skidoo 600 MXZX and we put a flat track on it and wheels on the skis. And it's, it's not super fast, but I can make laps on it all day. It's got a little radiator and, you know, it, it beat all the guys on the motorcycles. So that's all that mattered. <laughs> that's awesome. Lost in translation kind of thing there. I thought it was some craziness. Yes. I mean, here down in Missouri, we have Combine Demolition Derby. I mean, I... I know. I've heard of that. It's... Right. You know, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, you talk about the stupidest, slowest thing ever in the world. That's the Combine Demolition Derby. So... Probably sells a lot of beer, though. Uh, definitely. Oh, yes. Definitely a lot of beer. <laughs> it does. I just can't help but think that when John hears snow machine, he's thinking like a trail groomer and you're sitting these things on a quarter mile or something like that. They're doing like seven mile an hour and John's like, woo! Yes, you immediately said snow machine, and what came into my mind is a tractor pull truck with uh, giant spikes for wheels. <laughs> so you can see where my brain goes. So I'm sorry. All right. I'll have to uh, send you a picture of, of me racing. So now all you have to do, put a sidecar. Now, listen to me. Stay with me. Put a sidecar on that snow machine, and then you get them guys to hang way off the side in like a big puffy jacket. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sure Jason has something important. <laughs> this is this is going downhill quick. Well, thanks, John. I'll uh, I'll take over from here. Um, Thank you, Michelle. One thing that you had mentioned to, uh, or that we have been talking about, is the fact that you are the track boss, the lady track boss. Mm -hmm. uh, is that a self uh, entitled uh, position there, or is that something that just everybody calls you the lady track boss, or what? Well, so, so originally it started with my truck. The license plate on my pickup says bad lady. My brother had his El Camino. The license plate was bad because in, you know, the late eighties, that was a cool term. So his car was bad and I had bad lady. And then moving forward, I played roller derby in Fairbanks for a while. So my roller derby name was bad lady. And then you know, I was, people shortened it to BL. And so then I was boss lady because I also own my own printing company. Um, and so when I came down here, my, my email, you guys know is BL at raceak.com. So it's, it's boss lady down here. It's that's easier to explain than bad lady to people, but it's kind of evolved into the lady track boss. And so that's my, that's who I am. Well, that's good. I know I've been following you on, uh, on Instagram for quite a while. I saw you were making a table. And that yes. is fantastic. <laughs> Resin poured table, which I'm yeah, fascinated Yeah, that's actually by. In, in this garage. It's upstairs in the garage. We've got a, a 20 by, let's see, what is it? 20 by 40 space. So 800 square foot space. That's like our entertaining space. And so that pour is the whole, the whole railing. So it's 36 feet long. You pour that in one shot? Yes. I was scared to death. And I was like, well, if it doesn't work, we'll just sand it off and do it over again. But it worked out pretty good. I still have to finish it, but it's race season. So nothing's going to get done till the fall. Isn't that amazing how things happen when, when you are the boss? Uh, John, John was the boss of, of his business for a while. I run a used car dealership here. It, it's funny how things come in seasons so that you know, okay, I've got to get this done now because if I don't do it, it's going to be six months before I get back to being able to do what it is that you do. So Michelle, tell us maybe briefly, or maybe a little bit more than briefly, exactly what is it that you do at the track? So what exactly does boss lady entitle at Alaska Raceway Park? Well, in the off season, I do all the, you know, getting ready for the on season. I go to a lot of seminars like PRI and the SEMA show and things like that, as well as a lot of different racetrack business conference and, and things so that I can learn how to get better at doing my job because I am the only one that does my job here. And so I, I spend a lot of time working on that and getting the programs and stuff lined up. And then of course there's hiring and I have a marketing lady who's, who's helping me with social media and stuff, but I also like, you know, we create content and feeder feeder content because we got to keep people interested in what we're doing. 
I do track talk, which is every Tuesday for a couple minutes, it's a live that we do at three o'clock Alaska time. And so that's kind of keeps people in the loop about what's going on the track and changes with rules and, you know, whatever else is going on. And then in the summertime, it's like game on. I mean, we, you know, I help with ordering all the beverages and getting all the signage made. I used to own a printing company, so I still do graphics and stuff for the track, do all the hiring. I clean toilets if they need to be cleaned, you know, but I'm also in charge of accounting and sponsorship, sponsor fulfillment, dealing with all the stuff at the races, racers and, and running the actual events, you know, so kind of coordinating the circus, I guess. (laughs) So I do everything like inventory tires. You know, if, if there's a job that needs to be done, like this week, I have been cutting asphalt at the drag strip because we're cutting both edges. So they have a nice smooth edge. So when they pour the concrete walls in there, it's pretty straight that needed to be done. And, and I don't know how to run heavy equipment yet, but I learned how to do that. And so I'm rocking around cutting asphalt. So all the things, figuring out how to pay for all of it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems like a pretty grassroots situation. And then that has to be, has to be overwhelming and super fun at the same time. You know, and like I said, I'm the only one in the whole state who really does this. You know, we've got the other tracks are lion's tracks. So they've got a committee, you know, and a nonprofit organization that's, that's taking care of stuff. And we are for profit. We're just not making a profit yet because we keep dumping stuff into it. You know, the concrete walls at the racetrack needed to be upgraded. I mean, we've had, we've had guardrail for forever. And and even if you go back far enough, we didn't even have guardrails. So we definitely needed to put in the concrete walls and make it a little bit safer for our drivers. The timing system that we had was 22 years old. And so on May 3rd, we'll be installing a new portatory system there, getting that kind of upgraded and LED and bigger boards and everything. We're installing a network. Like we're all of these things are happening and we have a really short construction season. I'm sure Jason, yours is is similar, but you know, you wait until it's just about melted enough that you can get in there and start doing stuff. And then you go like gangbusters because we open in three weeks and I don't have any walls on my racetrack. So it's a little bit, makes me a little bit nervous sometimes, but we are very grassroots. We started in the fall a a program called club 1320, where one of my racers had suggested it to me. And we're just asking 1,320 people to give us a hundred bucks and that's going to help build the wall. And so we're putting everybody's names on it and made a cool logo and all that jazz. But like the support that I have received from that has just been overwhelming already. And I don't think there's any other type of business out there where you could be like, Hey, you want to donate a hundred bucks so that, you know, we can do this thing, you know, and, and it it's working and, what we've, we haven't funded the whole thing, but we've, we've gotten a pretty good start on it. And I'm, I'm just overjoyed that that's even happened. Well, we've got plenty of listeners that listen to the get out and drive podcast from all over the U S Canada, around the world that I'm sure there's somebody out there who would be willing to help donate a hundred dollars to help you out with that process. If they wanted to, Michelle, we can put this information down below this podcast so you guys can go and check that out but just give us a quick a little bit of information on how they could reach out to you to give you that hundred bucks well it's it's on our website which is raceak.com and if you go backslash club 1320 and there's actually a little banner thing so you can click right on it we have paypal and venmo my phone number's on there so you can call me and give me a credit card if you want to do that of course it is race season so leave me a message and i'll call you back you know, there's, you can send a check, whatever you want to do. Everybody's going to have a little plaque on the wall at the track. And then we made cool stickers. So if you donate, I send out a little letter and it's, it's actually signed by me with the, the sticker and the thank you. Cause the support that the community has given me to build this facility for all of the people that are here is just overwhelming. It's just so, so cool. I know we talked a little bit about you being at the track for most of your life, correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is, is, and, and it's, and it has to be surreal. Do you guys have televised events there? Um, actually this year, um, all of our NASCAR events will be televised on flow racing. If you want to watch those live, you can do that. Um, Alaska has its own time zone. Cause we're that big. 
So you got to figure out how many hours difference it is from wherever you're at. We'll be on flow racing. And then we don't televise the drag races yet. We're still trying to figure out how we don't really have power and Wi-Fi down at the top end. So trying to figure out how that's going to work. I would look for that at some point. We do have a, a lot of photographers and videographers that are out there and they post a lot of things. So um, you can see videos of people racing at, on YouTube and all over the place. It has to be surreal to see the track that you own that is on television or televised and things like that. Is it, has that caught up with you yet? Is, is that something that you're feeling? Because you're getting obviously um, getting a bunch bigger. We are getting bigger. It's getting um, a lot more. Uh, there's a lot more to organize. Like I, I keep waiting for the off season, you know, when I get to have like sit around and eat bonbons, like all my racers think I do or something, you know, what's, and I'm like, what's that? I, don't know, I don't know when that is like season starts on October 1st and it goes until September 30th, pretty much, you know, and it is surreal to open a magazine and see pictures of our track. And because I grew up here, this is kind of like, you know, this is our home track. This is just, this is where I've always been. This isn't any different than, than any other normal days, but our track is actually for being in Alaska and being in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's a, it, it could be a national event level track. You know, we've, we've got all of the amenities. A lot of bigger tracks have, I don't know that it's really caught up to me yet, but it's definitely, I don't know. Sometimes I just don't feel like, like I'm worthy of all of the, the stuff, you know, that I don't know the attention or whatever, because it's just, it's just what we do. You know, it's our track. So I, I want to unwrap this package just a little bit of, <laughs> you know, Alaska. I mean, we know Alaska is huge uh, as far as the state itself goes, <laughs> but from what I understand is that, you know, the communities within Alaska seem to be separated by quite a distance in some cases. Mm-hmm. Are there touring schedules of different uh, events that go between tracks? You said there were something like 20 something tracks in Alaska. Um, there's, there's actually, let's see here. I think there's only like five. So there's a track in Kenai. There's us, there's Willow, which is a, a dirt track. Fairbanks has got a dirt track and then North Pole has a little speedway. It's paved, but it's a a very small track. So there's, there's five of us in the state. So not very many. We're the only real high banked paved oval. We have the Alaska dirt late model series and they go to all of the tracks, but that's the only real like touring series. And it's always fun to have them come out because they're not set up for asphalt and they're loud and rowdy and everybody just has a really good time. Well, racing, I like loud and rowdy. That's, uh, that's, that's, those are the greatest adjectives you could ever jam with racing. Cause we always say, you know, it's not racing unless you get dirt in your beer, you know, that, that type of thing. And that's, that's fantastic that you guys are kind of a twofold thing. It's very close knit community, but it's, it's getting big enough to be a big deal soon. Yeah. And the thing that I've noticed over the past couple of years, our track is growing. I've got more people that are building cars. Last year, we introduced bandoleros at the circle track. So now I have bandos and juniors. And so we're exposing racing to these, these other generations, but that's trickling down to these other tracks. And I have um, racers at my my drag strip that are building dirt cars. They went and bought late models and they're going to be running the dirt late model series. And I've got guys from the circle track that have come over and started racing at the drag strip. And then, you know, it's just every everything that we do to grow is growing motorsports in the whole state. And it's just that part of it is really, really cool to see and and to see that positive upswing towards the future because in the the late 80s or maybe late 70s, early 80s, like it seemed like stuff was kind of dying out a little bit. So I'm glad to be um, part of making it bigger. John, before I was ever the co-host of the Get Out and Drive podcast, I was a participant in National Get Out and Drive Day. And this being the third year, I'm excited to be a part of that and the podcast. But we've also got some people who have written into us to let us know that they are also joining for the third year of the National Get Out and Drive Day. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. We've got some seasoned veterans, and they're actually sending us pictures of the decals all stacked up on their cars. It's getting to be a tradition. 
and they've got them racked up and I can't wait for more and more years and more pictures of everybody smacking them all over their windshield and dashboards and everything. I know that we've gotten pictures from David McCann from Michigan and Dwight Hackett from Delaware. Both of those guys say that they are third year participants. So I know for any of our listeners, if you have uh, the past two years and you're definitely going to participate for 2022, send us the pictures of your stickers. We'll definitely mention you because that's pretty cool. If you're social media friendly and you want to post your ride to Get Out and Drive, make sure you also tag National Get Out and Drive Day so that we can see what you're riding and we want to see those stickers. David McCann from Michigan and Dwight Hackett from Delaware. You guys are out there listening to this. Make sure you email us at info at getoutanddrive.com and we will send you and the Cozy Cruisers some Get Out and Drive stickers. Well, I think we've kind of segued a little bit into a topic we like to ask our guests. We always talk about, you know, what drives you, but before we get to what drives you, we want to know, you know, what is the track doing to help what drives youth? You mentioned the Bandoleros and the juniors. So talk a little bit about what uh, racing in your neck of the woods is doing for youth who are coming up as the next generation of racers, whether it be because mom and dad did it or because an aunt and uncle did it, or maybe they just have a a genuine interest to want to race either on the straight track or the circle track. Like what is it that you're contributing to, to help these youth come up into racing on your track? Well, we've had, we've had a strong junior dragster program since, since junior dragsters began and we still have some of those older cars around. They're like hand-me-down cars, you know, (laughs) there's only so many in the state. And so they just kind of, you know, the kids grow out of them and then somebody else gets them. And, and those kids, like some of the kids that are, were our first generation of, of racers out at the track, like they've grown up and gotten married and now their kids are going to be coming out and starting in the junior program. And so it's really neat to see those kids and to help foster them as they grow through their career. We've got a lot of our juniors that are going and racing out of state in the wintertime. They're competing in Vegas and they've gone to the nationals and they're just out doing their thing and, and representing Alaska and then, you know, growing up and, and getting into bigger cars and kind of filling that, you know, we, we've got to grow our own racers, you know, and, I was really, really happy to be able to do Bandoleros last year at the circle track. And these were all kids that, that I've never met before, you know, like they were, some of them are racers, kids, some of them, the kid who was their champion, his dad used to race a really long time ago, I guess. And, you know, he had talked about it. And then when we said we were going to do this, you know, he got a car and, and he's just such a well-spoken professional racer for a 10 year old. And, you know, he's, he's out there and he's meeting all the officials and he's talking to the other drivers and he's really good with the fans. And I'm like, dude, you're, he's a pro already at 10, you know, and whatever we can do to help foster those kids and to grow that that's, what's going to continue, you know, the stuff that we love to do. Yeah. We have to pass on everything or the information will die. And I know we chatted about that briefly. It's amazing all the things that you were doing and to get the kids involved. And and I understand Alaska being a little remote and things and, and cars getting passed around. That has to be heartwarming that things are moving around and getting traded. And this person has grandpa's old car. You know, there's a little bit of family, again, tight knit, family oriented mm-hmm. type of stuff. And, and that's great to hear. And it brings, uh, you know, a little bit more hope for the next generation. And, and I'm glad to see that's happening. So I announced it at the banquet in 2020 that we were going to be doing this. And we had no cars in September. When we started the season, we had 12 cars and they pulled them out of the woodwork and got them put together. And, you know, some of them were brought up from a track that had closed in California and, you know, these, these cars all came out and we got a whole new crop of racers. And now we have, we have more people looking for cars and bringing them up from out of state because that's the only place you can get them. And it's, it's just so, so neat to be able to be part of this and to see these kids come out and have a good time and, 
you know, learn how to win and learn how to lose and just learn how to be part of, of this track family that we've got. One thing that I always find amazing because of what the world has been going through for the past couple of years is to find out some of the success stories that come from the effects of what happened. I know with us, we're starting to see more and more people hit the car lots. They're browsing more. The money is starting to flow a little bit more. Can, can you tell me maybe one or two things good that have come out of the, the setback that the world saw over the last two years with racing? Like, is that something that has benefited and, and, and really grown that sport for you guys? For us, it really has. In 2020, everything closed, you know, and that was a really scary time for me because we make our money off of events. And if I don't have events, then how do I pay the taxes and all the rest of the fun stuff? You know, we were fortunate. We came up with a plan and we got with the governor and had a COVID mitigation plan and all that stuff. And and we opened up and I was wondering like, is anybody going to come or, you know, are the fans going to come or the racers, well, the racers will always come, you know, because they want to race. And it, it turned out to do really well for us because we were the only ones that were doing anything. And we were, we're in the Matanuska Valley, which everybody was like, you know, we got to do what we wanted to do. And we actually ended up holding a couple different other events at our facility and some concerts. It exposed our facility to a whole lot of other people that otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity, but they didn't have anything else to do. And so they came out and gave us a try. And then last year I was like, well, was that just a fluke because it was 2020 and we didn't have any competition, but the spectator base is growing because people are really enjoying it. And I think they're, they're remembering what it was like to go out and do all these fun things outside and to enjoy cars and to, you know, the comment I get a lot is like, oh yeah, I used to go to the races with my dad and now I get to take my kids. And um, that, that for me has been been really cool. And it's, it's neat to see, we've got a lot of new racers that are coming in and a lot of, a lot of racers are, are building cars. And it seems like there is a resurgence. When I talk with other track operators, they're talking about, you know, the, that more people are coming to their facility and they're having more car shows and more events. And that's just really exciting to see for our industry. So it's new. Are you seeing new faces or are you seeing the old ones that you haven't seen in a long time? <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of both. I mean, we've got, we've got some people that are are bringing cars out of the woodwork and I mean, life happens and sometimes, you know, you're building a race car and then you get married and you have kids and that puts your race race dreams on hold for a little bit. And then your kids grow up and then you come back and, so we've had people like that that are returning, but we have a lot of people that are coming out and, and they're going, gosh, it looks like a lot of fun, you know? And so they're trying to find race cars and build race cars and come out and, and be part of it. So what would you say is an average race weekend as far as participants go? We have about, I would say about 75 or so drivers at each track. If we have a holiday weekend, um, we tend to pick up more because we do have a lot of people that come race from Fairbanks and from Kenai, but that's Fairbanks is six hours away and Kenai is about three hours away. So it's kind of a commitment. So if we are doing an event where we've got, you know, two days of racing, then, then we tend to have a lot more participation, but we usually end up with about probably right under a thousand spectators. That's pretty amazing. Have you had any pushback from uh, the local community or government agencies and things like that? Because I know I hear a lot of racetracks are getting pushed out because building and um, areas are ex expanding. And, and what used to be out in the middle of nowhere and you put a racetrack now is somewhere. Are you guys having any problems like that if you wanted to talk about them? Yeah, we're, we're not currently... So we're in Butte, technically, Alaska, which isn't really, it's not a city. It's just kind of a place at the moment, which is part of Palmer. And we're next to the Jim Creek Recreational Area, which is along the Kinnick River. And so every weekend, all the weekend warriors come out from Anchorage, but their UTVs and everything, and they go up and down the river and go to the glacier. And, and so it's been kind of a motorsports area. 
we are getting more people moving into the community, which is scary for me because I'm like, well, maybe they're cool people and they like racing and they like going to the river with their UTVs and stuff, or, you know, maybe they're not. And so try to be pretty proactive with, you know, being a good part of the community. We are loud, but we, you know, finish on time and we run a good event and we support community projects. I'm on the Butte Community Council, so I'm the treasurer of the council. You know, we help out with everything that they're doing. We participate in the school. And by we, I think that's mostly just me, but (laughs) I like to say we, so it sounds like we're bigger, but you know, we, we help out with, I'm on the Rotary Club. We do a, we just try to be the best part of the community that we can, you know, we're going to have some loud days and we do have traffic, but when it comes down to it, we're a business and we're, we've been part of this community since 64 and People need to know that when they move in, there's an airport right across the street from the track. So it's, it's not a quiet place, but I also want to make sure that we're doing as much as we can to be part of the community too. And and being part of the community has a lot of responsibility too. As you mentioned, you've got to be able to cater to those who are okay with the noise and the ruckus and all this stuff that goes on, but it's tough to still play the good guy when you've got the ones who maybe they're new to the area and all of a sudden uh, they don't like all that noise. And (laughs) I think to some degree, we've always got to say, you had to know there was a racetrack in your backyard before you moved here. I find a lot of cases in, in our area anyways, is that when there's something new and something big, regardless of what that might be, that brings entertainment or revenue to the community, you're going to have those few loudmouths or whatever you want to call them that 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 are going to speak their mind and are going to be a little bit bad for the sport at the end of the day it's all about what is best for the community and if it's tourism and it's tourism dollars that help the community that person who may not like the noise is benefiting from that noise mm-hmm. so how is it that you guys kind of combat that type of mentality if you deal with it at all Things have changed a little bit since my dad was in charge, you know, and he ended up purchasing the property from the state, which was a fantastic and and not a lot of people know that history about it, but that was probably one of the best things that my dad could have ever done was to make sure that we own the land that the track is on because now nobody can take it away. At that time, there were a lot of people that were complaining, you know, and and the, the funny thing is, is like, you'll have one person that's complaining and they're super loud and they have a lot of time on their hands and they're, you know, taking, taking it to the newspapers and everywhere. And then you've got 20 people on the other hand that are like, yeah, whatever. It's a racetrack. It's cool. I like going, hanging out and drink a beer and whatever. And, and, but those people don't say a whole lot of stuff because they're like busy doing stuff. They don't mind the track being there. And so Now that this has changed into like social media and people are on, you know, people get online and they'll say something. We have this, yeah, the keyboard warriors that are out there telling, you know, talking about the track and stuff. And it's, I don't say anything because that just does not work well. I I watch all that stuff, but um, it's amazing to see the people that pick up on our behalf and, you know, just chew into these people because they are all on the keyboard and they can do that, but it's changed a little bit. It's hard, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, the, the people that are telling you, you know, it's even, even like with racers, you know, and you have the one racer that's in your face or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's hard to remember that that's just one person and that's just their opinion. And you have all of these other people who really appreciate what you're doing. And it's trying to remember those people and not focus on that one person who's being a little thorn in your side. Um, you mentioned a little bit about the history of the track and that your dad used to run the track. So maybe we can share a little bit of that history to allow our listeners to know that this is something that's been around for a long time. Give us a brief history of Alaska Raceway and how it kind of came to be in its origin and how you came to be the owner of it today. Well, it was built in 1964. There were a bunch of racers that were here. You know, they'd raced out of state. Jimmy Moore, if you're into drag racing, you may have heard of, he used to race funny cars on the West Coast for a long time. And they built the track. They figured out the lease. This was in the middle of a riverbed. I mean, technically this place was a flood zone for a long time. And the racetrack was running and operating and then things changed and they had leased the track out to different operators and 
gotten it back. And the end of the 90s, so probably 96 or so, um, and that was almost 10 years after we started racing here, there was a group of racers at the track that purchased the track from Lee Nelson, who was one of the guys who originally started it. After, I don't know, a year or two after that, one of the guys got sick and things changed. And so dad bought into it. Mom and dad more bought into it with all these other guys. And dad always says there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians and ended up getting rid of some of the chiefs. Like they, you know, for whatever reason, everybody, he bought them out or they went on to do their own thing. And so then mom and dad were in charge of it. And so they've, they've run it since 98, I think. 97, 98, which is when I started working here. I was pregnant with my daughter and they wouldn't let me race my truck. So I, I was working in the tower. And so my parents ran it and they, they both worked and did this kind of on the side. And I managed the track for a little bit for them. And then I, I went to Fairbanks for a brief period of time, like 16 years. Um, and then I was coming back and still doing stuff for them behind the scenes, doing graphics and helping with the website and whatever I could do from far away. When we built the circle track, I was commuting back and forth because dad built the track and he's like, okay, here you go. Run it. (laughs) Dude, I grew up at a drag strip. I don't know anything about circle track racing. And so I'm still learning a lot about circle track racing. So I would drive back and forth to do that. And and I do love driving, but after a while that, that gets pretty old the six hour commute is a lot. So we ended up moving back here and my husband and I had a few years before we even built the circle track had been driving home one weekend. And we were like, you know, like all of our friends and all of our family live down here. And we have friends in Fairbanks, but it wasn't this group of people. And mom and dad had been talking about maybe selling the track because they were, I think in their seventies at that time, dad just turned 82. So he's, you know, still working at the track doing stuff, but I was just thinking about it. And, and I was like, we can't let them sell this to somebody else because this is, this is our family. This is where I grew up. This is where a lot of people have grown up. And if we sell the track to somebody else, it changes that for everybody. It's not just us. That's when we decided that this was what we needed to do. And my daughter was still in high school. So we had to wait you know, till she finished. Cause I didn't want to disrupt her and, and figure out what to do with the other business and all the rest of the jazz. So in 2018, we bought the house down here and we've been here ever since. And, and now I get to take it over and hopefully get to see them, you know, see some of their, their dreams and ideas come true before they can see it. So. So the history in that place is just amazing. I know we've talked briefly about it. Do you have any historical cars that come to your track? I know uh, everybody likes a lot of history, nostalgia, drag racing and things. So we started an event, let's say, I think it's going to be 12 years this year, a while ago called the Thunder Valley Flag Drags. Well, the racetrack originally was Polar Raceway Park, and then Mm -hmm. it was Thunder Valley Raceway for a while, and then it went back to Polar, and then it became Alaska Raceway Park. And So we have the Thunder Valley flag drags in June. It's kind of my birthday party and it's a big car show. It's 74 or older. The cars have to be older than me, (laughs) (laughs) but I might have to uh, change that here pretty soon. But so 74 or older, we do flag drags this year. We're going to have again, the Chevelle shootout and the Camaro showdown. So we have an all Camaro race and all Chevelle Monte Carlo El Camino type of race. And then the winners of those two events race each other for this big trophy. We have uh, rockabilly bands and we do pinup contests and tattoo contests and just kind of a fun event, not real serious racing, but it's kind of been like a side event. Last year, we had people lined up for forever. I was like, oh, well, we're going to have to start treating this like a real event. Like we have to start staffing it better, but we've got vendors and swap meets and, you know, all this stuff. Last fall, I got to go to the California Hot Rod Reunion. And so I'm trying to learn some different things from some of the other events and try to make it better. Do you have any historical cars that come to your events? Like things that have been at the raceway since the beginning kind of thing? Um, we we do have a few of them. I mean, a, a lot of the ones that were at the beginning are not super safe. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> so, oh, I, um, I get that, especially with drag racing. <laughs> Yeah. My friend Robbie just got a car and it was Clarence LeMay's dragster from 
way back in the day. And, and it was one of the first dragsters here to go over 200 miles an hour. And he picked it up from some guy who had no idea what it was. And he was trying to restore it more like a, a cackle car, I guess, mm-hmm. than actual racing. Cause he'd have to, he'd have to do so much stuff to it to make it legal that it wouldn't be original anymore. So, so we're, we're working on building cackle cars. My brother, Jimmy is building a gasser, kind of a nostalgia nitro car. They always take a little bit longer than you think, but a couple of years, we should have a couple more of those out there. So. Yeah, that, that sounds cool. It's always nice to be at a racetrack that has a car that's from the history of the racetrack. And that's great. There's a few of them that are in the St. Louis and Metro area and that always go to racetracks in, in the Midwest. It's a neat feeling to see that. So I'm glad you guys have at least some racers and some cars that can come back and at least uh, show their colors. Mm-hmm. So Michelle, not everybody can get to Alaska, obviously. It's just something that's just not down the road. So you had mentioned earlier about being able to have some televised events. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that some fans can expect to come out of Alaska Raceway Park in 2022? Televising with Flow Racing is kind of a big thing. Flow is actually a really cool, like I just got my subscription the other day because race season's coming up and I was like, oh my gosh, like you can see all of these cool races, Funny Car Chaos is on there and pretty much any kind of racing that you ever would like to see is is there. So I'm I'm excited that we're going to be able to broadcast our, our beautiful facility to everybody through that. The concrete walls and the timing system will be done by Mother's Day, which is going to elevate the whole experience for everyone. Everybody. I've got one of my motorcycle racers just went down uh, probably about a month or so ago and picked up the Nitro Harley. He said it was originally built for Junior Pippin. He's planning on doing a 200 mile an hour pass with that bike. We haven't had a bike go 200, but now that we have concrete walls, that's his goal. And so we're, we're looking forward to that. We switched up our top eliminator class this year, which is a top eliminator for us is, let's see, we've got alcohol dragster, funny cars. We've got altereds in there. We don't have enough of any one kind of car to have uh, like a funny car class. And so everybody runs together and we have indexes based on their combination. So it's kind of a heads up index class before we've done it kind of bracket style where, you know, you start with six and then you go to three and two and one. Right. And this year we're changing it up. So all of the drivers are going to run every time. So they'll run three times a day and it'll be all of them. And then we're just going to count the round wins for figuring out who's kind of the, the winner for the day. But it's it's more for putting on the show than trying to figure out who the champion is. Because when it comes down to it, the guys that are in the stands want to see burnouts and backup girls and loud noises and people, you know, making a really fast pass, but also super sketch, you know, like that's, that's what people want to see. And, and the guys spend nine months out of the year working on these cars. They want to make as many passes as they can. So we're going to, we're going to make that happen this year. And I, I'm really excited for the changes in that program. What is the issues with finding parts? Up, up there, quote unquote, in, in, in Alaska, is there any issues finding parts or you just uh, use the internet and racingjunk.com classifies to find all your things? I mean, what's, what's parts like getting up there? Um, parts, parts are definitely hard. I mean, I, it's hard, it's hard for everybody right now to get anything. And it's especially hard for us up here because we don't have a summit store or which I'd love to go to one of those, one of those days, like we don't have things like that. And so you do go to racing junk and to other internet options and in summit and jegs and all those places and try to try to order parts. And sometimes it's in stock and sometimes it's not. And recertifying things is a little bit of a challenge because you have to take all that stuff out and send it out and then get it back and hope that all the stars align and everything shows up. I do a bulk order at the beginning of the season for the circle track for all of our tires. And so I bring up a Connex full of tires for everybody to, to race on. Tires are kind of hard to get right now. And so it's making me a little bit nervous too, but things are just hard to get, but everything up here is always hard to get. So it's not out of the ordinary, I guess, for us. That was one of the things when I had my printing company, one of my fellow printers owns a print shop in Indiana. So if he needs paper, he just 
you know, drives down the road to a big warehouse there and he gets the stuff that he needs. And if I need stuff, I have to order it. It's four or five days or a week or whatever before it gets here. And that's just like, you get used to planning those things like, oh, I need this, you know, this event is here. I need to order this stuff by here so that it gets here in time so that I can do the thing. And kind of how business works up here. I mean, I, I giggle a little bit when I see everybody's, you know, in the, the lower 48 and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, we have to wait like three days to get something. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah. it's like, <laughs> that's how everything is up here. So it's, I don't know. Well, Michelle, I think it's been absolutely amazing listening to these stories, listening to somebody who has a has a huge, huge passion for what it is that you do, so much so that you were willing to buy the track yourself to keep it going and to keep up the morale and to keep up the fun stuff. And and I, I know it's a lot of work. I know that you're kind of, I don't want to say a one-man show or a one-woman show, but you've got a lot of hats that you wear in and around the track. And just like other small business owners or, or what have you, there's certain things that you just have to do to get things done. And like you said earlier, sometimes it's because it's a job that needs to be done. You sound like a, a great boss lady. Uh, you sound like a great person who is motivated to see your track succeed and to see the success of the people who use your facility. I, I wish I was closer because I think it would be an awesome opportunity to go visit and just see what it's like to have that experience at Alaska Raceway Park. So thank you so much for sharing that with us because I'm not sure I'll ever get there, but it's something I can aspire to do. So thank you for sharing it with us. You're very welcome. And who knows, by the time you get here, maybe I'll have my car condos done over the track and we'll have a fancy place for you to stay. So I can't wait to get up there someday. I, I've seen all the pictures of the track and, and the upgrades and things you're doing to it. And it's, it's incredible, the grassroots attitude that is behind the track. I applaud you immensely. Thank Great you. job. Well, thank you for hanging out with us for a little bit today. Absolutely. This has been a blast. Are you looking for more action-packed car content? Head over to YouTube for the Car Guy and Six Fan Show on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Find a link in the show notes and let them know you heard about it from the Get Out and Drive podcast. Speed over to our friends at RacingJunk.com and sign up for a Pro Club membership. Use the code GETOUT to receive a discount when you sign up for a Pro Club membership. Cruise on over to our website, GetOutAndDrive.com, for all the info you never wanted to know about our podcast. Hit us up on our listener hotline, be the first to know what's happening, get industry news, and grab your Get Out and Drive merch. Connect with us on social media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Follow us on Twitter at Get Out and Drive Pod. What, what drives, drives you? you?